0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God decides to check on how earth is doing, and so sends one of his angels down. The angel returns and says, well, it's 95% bad, and only 5% good. God decides on a second opinion, and the second angel says, yep. 95% bad and just 5% good. So God decides to encourage the 5% by sending them an email. Do you know what the email said? No, I didn't get one either. In our first reading, Acts 10 verses 44 to 48, God doesn't send an email, he sends the Holy Spirit. In fact, poor Peter is only part way into his sermon, no ideas here, please, when God interrupts him. Acts 10, verse 44, says, While Peter was still speaking. So, what has gone on before? Well, Acts has been outlining the rather lumpy start of the new church born at Pentecost. A pattern had begun to develop. There would be some miracle or sign. The crowd or person would ask what is going on, and Peter would explain. The person or people would repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Excuse me I'm not quite sure why i this is a bit of a simplification of what is going on but the threads are there and then in chapter 9 verse 31 we have this wonderful verse meanwhile the church throughout Judea Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up living in the fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Spirit it increased in numbers let's switch to that one please Everything is in order. We know what to expect. But now in chapter 10, things take a turn. And Peter is shaken out of his comfort zone. Peter sets out to pray, but hunger strikes him. And then God uses the hunger to give Peter a message about clean and unclean. Peter's still trying to work out the message when two visitors arrive. Actually, they turn out to be the answer to his puzzlement, but at the time, Peter hasn't got it. The next day, Peter goes with the two visitors to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, not a Jew, who has gathered all his friends and family, again Gentiles, not Jews, together to meet Peter. There's a brief conversation where both Peter and Cornelius realize that God is at work, And so Peter does his usual thing and sets off into sermon mode. He's sort of getting it in that he starts to outline that Jesus is available to all, even Gentiles, and so that they can come to baptism and then even receive the Holy Spirit. But God has other plans. Verse 44, the first of our reading. While Peter was still speaking, The Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. This verse is one of the key ones in Acts, as God is clearly drawing a line in the sand. Peter has said the words before our reading that God has no partiality. But here, God is blasting it totally out of the water. God is saying, stop going on about it, just do it. It's one thing to make an attempt to preach to the Gentiles. Peter was probably congratulating himself that he was being so forward-looking. But it's quite another thing to see him being interrupted by a clear sign of conversion. There's a real echo of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Here it is poured out in exactly the same dramatic fashion on Gentiles. God is really showing no partiality. Verse 45 says, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Notice how the writer is clearly drawing out this shock. They knew it to be true, but now they were seeing it in reality. They were circumcised, these were not, yet the same thing was happened to them. They were Jews, these were not, yet the same thing was happened to them. They had been prepared, been baptised. These had not gone through any formal preparation or baptism, yet the same thing was happening to them. No wonder they were astounded, gobsmacked. God was interrupting their nice, cosy understanding and order and fast-forwarding to the Holy Spirit. It's one thing to say that God has no partiality. It's another thing to see that put into practice right in front of you. Even though the other believers are gobsmacked, Peter now gets it and says in verse 47, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Baptism was already becoming the outward sign of reception into the people of God. Now with this, circumcision is no longer the unifying sign. Baptism is. Yes, there will be some disputes over this in the coming chapters, but that is why I believe God short circuited the process in this chapter and demonstrated clearly how he shows no partiality. And therefore we shouldn't either. Can anyone withhold? Of course not, God says. So Peter then orders them to be baptised and stays with them for a while to continue the teaching as full members of the body of Christ. So what was the deciding factor in all of this? It was baptism in the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Is it always accompanied by tongues? What are tongues? Normally when tackling these questions, I usually do it over a weekend with the church, with me speaking for about four hours, but I think you might interrupt me if I started down that path. So here's a very brief summary. There are only seven explicit references to baptism in the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Four of them, one in each gospel, refer to the prediction by John the Baptist saying that the coming one would baptize with the Holy Spirit. The fifth is in the first chapter of Acts, where Jesus quotes John the Baptist's prophecy and points towards Pentecost. The sixth is just after our reading in Acts 11, verse 16, where Peter is describing the incident in our reading and saying how it reminded him of Jesus' prediction in Acts chapter 1. The seventh and the last is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, which says, For in the one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit." In other words, baptism in the Holy Spirit is for everyone. As one commentator puts it, it is the indispensable beginning of Christianity for one and all. This is not about a second blessing or something that only a few Christians have. It is for one and all and happens to all. If you are a Christian, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are a Christian. It's not about a separate experience. Yes, some people have a more Damascus Road experience, dramatic, one-off, and my own walk has a moment like that. But many don't. In fact, I would say most don't. Pentecost and Acts chapter 10 were needed for very particular reasons, for God to publicly and dramatically and without question demonstrate his love and new working out of salvation. But there are plenty of others where it's not dramatic or public. There's the simple acceptance by the eunuch in the carriage with Philip. There's Acts chapter 13 and Paul speaking in a synagogue and being asked to come back next week. In Acts chapter 17, Paul does loads of proclaiming and speaking and it simply says, some of them were persuaded. We all come to Jesus differently. Some running, some walking, others dawdling, and some of us kicking and screaming. However we come, the Holy Spirit is for all without partiality. So what about tongues? Well, in Scripture, there appears two types of tongues. There's the tongues of Pentecost, which involve human languages and understanding, and this seems rarer. Then there is the more common tongues, which is a heavenly language that a believer uses to praise God. I found it a bit like when Paul says in Romans that we run out of words, and so our spirit speaks directly with God's spirit. It is not neat and tidy, though, and in fact, Paul says he would rather speak fewer words in tongues... Fewer words so that others can understand, rather, than simply use tongues all the time. Also, Paul makes it clear that it's a gift, and so not everyone has it, and therefore having it or not having it tells us nothing about that person. God shows no partiality, and neither should we. The key to all of this is that we are baptised with the Holy Spirit, and so we need to allow that Spirit to be at work in our lives in whatever way is needed. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to interrupt our comfortable Christianity in ways that may be uncomfortable, even challenging, but will bless us and bless others. Too often we shut the Holy Spirit up in a cupboard in our lives when there is so much more. We're not told to be baptized, that has happened. But we are told to be filled. Let's pull these different strands together. The key point from our Acts reading today is that God has no favourites. But what about the church or society? Do you get ahead better if you are white, educated, male, etc.? Do not think that racism, like the Windrush scandal, is only out there. Do not think that sexism, like hashtag MeToo, is only out there. Do not think that partiality is only out there. No, sadly, it is in here, in us. So we need to allow God to interrupt us, to allow the Holy Spirit that is inside of us to so consume that which puts up barriers, that which divides, that which isolates, so that we are transformed as individuals and as a community. Then we can obey the command in our gospel reading that we love one another as Jesus has loved us. Amen.